welcome. Dr. James Beckett, Sports Card Insights here with Rich Klein. We're going to talk about 84 Fleer. Actually, there's a couple sets there, the regular set and the update set. We're going to compare and contrast. We already did an episode that Rich and I enjoyed, that many of you enjoyed on 84 Donruss. Also, there's a 84 top set too, but uh, we're going to, we're going to focus on the 84 Fleer set. So I uh, can't thank Fleer as a sponsor because Fleer is defunct. I guess there's still vestiges of uh, some of these defunct brands. Upper Deck owns the, Upper as Deck the, owns the name. As, as all, it just seems like there's, uh, there's uh, some desire to keep them alive, but not in the same form that they were originally. But Fleer's a proud brand from, oh, 75 they, years? Yeah, they started in the 20s and yeah, ended in 2005. Yeah. They have more yeah. than an 80-year history. Yeah, but anyway, we'll talk about 84. And uh, thanks, sponsors, Tops, Panini, Upper Deck, Heritage Auctions, Hugs and Scott Auctions, as well as Burbank Sports Cards, Mike Stadium Sports Cards, Compsy.com, and Beckett Media, Beckett Creating, Beckett Authentication. 84 Fleer, Rich, uh, you were... A dealer. You were a dealer... Were you working in a card shop in those days? No, 84, I was working for a company called Sports Information Database, which was a wonderful concept, 25 years ahead of its time, was basically designed to be what all the baseball, football references are today. Well, it was without digital. I guess you had, there was some computerization, right? but it wasn't as easily accessible. Correct. And so that's what I mean by it was way ahead of its time. Really smart people working in a lot of people my age. A lot of the people had gone through the St. John's Sports Management Program. Right, right. You know, we had some friends of mine from Columbia working there. We had news, you know, former newspaper editors or sports writers. It was really, okay. it was a great idea, but it was way too far ahead of its time. Okay, so 84 Fleer, you got 81 Fleer, first baseball uh, set for Fleer that was 660 cars, I guess. You got 82, 83. What's better about 84? You know, I want to just say, I feel... Of the regular set. 84 is a very pretty set. It's clean. It's clean. And I feel sorry for 84 Fleer because it ended up coming out the same year as 84 Donruss. 84 Donruss is just so beautiful. Which we're considering the, the set, set of, of the, the decade. Yeah. And 84 Fleer is not a set of the decade. Silver medalist? It's definitely, bronze medalist? It's definitely a bronze or a silver medalist. It's definitely way up there. It's a clean design. The photos are good. I mean, if you ever saw things like the 82 Fleer Jack Clark photo, you realize mm. just how, how much progress Fleer made in yeah. two years. They had gotten rid of, you know, the errors that were in 81 were gone. Right. 83 is a pretty nice set. 84 was really a great step why, up. Why did both Donruss and Fleer take this step up in 84? If you remember, which I know you do, I remember it very personally because 84 is the year Beckett uh, Publications got started. And so it's interesting that 84, Beckett Publications got started, and that was a major, I mean, up to that point, Topps was always way ahead of Donruss and Fleer in those the 81, 82, 83, when they were head-to-head competing, Topps, 84, both Fleer and Donruss must have said in some way, we better get our act together. We got to step it up. And, and they really did. And yeah, competition is good for the soul. A lot of times when you hear today people saying, I wish Upper Deck would do export, or I wish Tops would do export, or I wish Panini would do export, mm-hmm. or Panini would get a baseball license so they could actually put the logos on. Because right. they do baseball with, with, with a player's license, which is perfectly fine. And... Competition was good because 83 tops was by far the best of the 83 sets. It was that it was reminiscent of the 63 set, the right. two photos. 84 tops is not a bad set. It's just not as they big. just rectangularized yeah. 83s. Yes, they put a square instead of a circle. Exactly, kind of. Yes, and basically, I think 84 was still the inferior cardboard. Yes, it still was. And 84. so 84, Fleer, and Donners both upgraded their card stock. Tops being. Still gum and packs, I think, at that point. Right, tops. They top, were top. limited in what they could do. So, 
So Mattingly was the big card. Mattingly's the big card. As we've discussed with, with uh, Donruss, Strawberry started off the year bigger, and then Mattingly took over as he wins the batting title in 84. And it's a very nice card of Don Mattingly. And it's actually a very nice card of Daryl Strawberry, so they're both very attractive. Thankfully, none of those rookie cards are, for any of the three companies, are unattractive cards. Fortunately, they're all decent photos, decent design, pretty cool. But 84 does have, I believe it's the Glenn Hubbard snake card, which did, did yeah, yeah, I think that was the, Right, that's, I think that's the first year Fleer did something cool like that. They would throw one or two cards like that into each set. <laughs> and that was the first year they did cards like that. And I think that was a step up just to get them a little extra publicity. That's a better gimmick. I'll use the word gimmick. It may be a better word than the errors of the early 80s because it's some, it's a cool It's photo. buzzworthy. Yes, yeah, buzzworthy. buzzworthy. Even for that. Okay. So I got another question for you just because you're, you don't, I think the listeners know we don't really script these. So Rich does, it's kind of like dueling questions because I don't know what Rich is going to say. Rich doesn't know what I'm going to say, but the third best rookie in the set. If you count Strawberry as number two, even though he had the 83 Tony tops. Until you get to the update, which we'll discuss in a minute, Tony Fernandez. Okay, that's not a bad answer, but I'm suggesting any events like That would have been my fourth answer. Okay. And so my question to you is, you've got Mattingly and Strawberry, both heavily New York, and events like not New York. He's out in the in the burbs. You know, he's in the Midwest with all of his teams, and he was a really good player. If he'd have been in New York, what do you think would have happened? I think he would have been a player... He's already popular. I think he would have been Kevin McReynolds squared. Kevin McReynolds well, comes to the Mets a little in bit more in longevity. And Kevin McReynolds comes to the Mets in '87. Yeah. I think Van Slyke would have already had those three or four years in New York, yeah. and then just would have kept going from there. So yeah. I, you, I think he wouldn't be on a Mattingly and Strawberry level, but he wouldn't be very far behind Strawberry. He might even be. Tied well, he with was Str- steadier. I mean, he wasn't as yeah. flashy, but he was solid. He really could do it all. I think he might be tied with Strawberry. I mean, it, it, it'd be close. Okay, so. Are we saying, you know, because I also did an episode on a ripple effect, you know, when Mattingly goes up, he's no longer tied to Strawberry. I don't know who he's tied to. He just has his own following and all that. But Van Slyke is, you either like him or you don't. You don't think, well, oh, he's undervalued unless you saw him play and said, I like the, people like the way he played and, and the fact that he was, he was, he was clutch, I think. Yeah. And then he played in the playoffs for the Pirates. Yeah. In fact, he was the one they, the Pirates chose to sign for the long-term contract. So they thought a lot about him too, but about third, age 32, 33, he did start sliding start, off the cliff a little earlier than, yeah. than either Bonilla or Bonds, the other options the Pirates had for the long-term contract. But Van Slyke played center field, and usually center fielders are your key position. Yeah, to, you, know, you move to the corners though, right. when you, when you can't cover as well. well. Let's, let's move to the update set because, uh, you know, Tops had been doing these extended traded rookie sets in the boxes and Fleer sort of copied him, but sort of, Took it to another level. I mean, it's it's the best of those sets. So what was it? The production they, being less, production being less, and the better. And they got really lucky. They struck it rich on the they player struck selection. It rich on the player selection, because yeah, you knew Gooden in '84 is going to be in both sets. Gooden, Gooden in right. '17 and '9. Well, he yeah. has all those strikeouts. I mean, he's Doctor K already in '84. I mean, he's the key to both he sets. He was he was the key when when the when the Becker publication started. Right. And it was like, oh man, if anything ever happened to him, what would we do? Well, think, as well term, wait a few years. Wait a few years for Kirby Puckett and Roger Clemens to explode in 1986, and voila, both of them explode on the hobby scene really in 86. Right. Kirby Puckett hits like 26 homers in 86 after having like four his first two years right. in the majors combined. Clemens goes 24 and 4 in 86, and all of a sudden the set, which had been maybe a $30, $40 set, it was more expensive always than tops, all of a sudden becomes a $200 set, a $300 set, a $400 set. Because of the player selection. Because of the player selection. Because the 84 uh, extends that is still a good set. It's still a good set. It's just not as good. And, and I've even b- b- been able to sell commons. 
And you even have people like John Franco, yeah. who has a rookie card in 84, flare up. I don't believe he's in 84 tops traded. I mean, even on that level, they yeah. did a better. So uh, they were smart. They were smart. Smart. They did, did some homework about that. I was just thinking of a, of a theory that, 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 that comes up in some of these things is that we have players that are, that are absolutely Hall of Famers and players that are most likely, they're, they're not going to be Hall of Famers, but they still have a following. And my, my question to you, my thought process is this. I'm wondering if these players that have a following who are not in the Baseball Hall of Fame, like Andy Vance like, are probably in at least one, like the Pirates Hall of Fame. In other oh, yeah. words, they, they have to have either regional popularity or some kind of popularity. They're not one of the very top players in baseball, but they're memorable for the fans who watch them play in their city. Or St. Louis. He might be in that one, too. I don't know. Okay, well, and I'm bringing up John Franco. And Franco would be a great New, example. A New York... he, he's probably not going to make the Hall of Fame. But, but on he, stats, on stats he he's looks actually pretty borderline. strong. Yeah. On stats, he's borderline. Born in the New York area. Spent most of his career pitching for the Mets. He's got enough there where if he yeah. sneaks in one day as a Veterans Committee player... That's a major, that's a card that can skyrocket for the 84 Fleer update and with right. good reason. Because they're not that many. Correct. Yeah. And they're undervalued right now, I think. You know, Puckett and Clemens are kind of the same value in the set, according to the OPG. The and rightly OPG. so. You don't prefer one over the other? They're, they're different. Clemens was probably a more dominant player at his position and, and obviously for a longer time. But during his career, Kirby Puckett was so much more popular. That, you know, plus he carried the Twins basically to two World Series. By the time Clemens wins his World Series with the Yankees, they're, eh, you know, he's an important cog, but he's not the youthful fireballer he was with the 86 Red Sox. Well, he's a controversial figure. And he's a controversial figure. And Puckett is, you know, whatever happened to Kirby Puckett, he's just beloved. And that's why I don't have a problem with their cards being the same, because how many, you know, there were tons of his teammates that named their kids Kirby in Minnesota after him, just like... There were tons of kids who played with the New York Giants. They didn't name their kids after Frank Gifford. They named their kids after Kyle Rote. They loved Kyle Rote. The teammates loved him. He was, a belo- again, a beloved figure. Right. And so we've talked about this in the past. Being a beloved figure gives you a boost sometimes, even over your playing ability. Don Manley's a beloved figure in New York. We talked about Thurman Munson. Right, right. He was beloved in my generation. I know, but to be beloved in Minnesota is more challenging to expand that. But but he was a very popular guy. And dying early, I don't know that that helped him. It but didn't it, hurt. But, but it, it just, he, he's he's gone and not forgotten. And the other thing is, frankly, he looks like you and me to some extent. He, doesn't he looks look, like a regular guy. He looks like a regular guy. Well, he looks like a retired guy. Yes. <laughs> he, looks of, like the, he looks like the guy in the softball field yeah, that comes up and hits three homers with right. the... And with waddles the, to first base. And waddles to first base, yes. Right, right. Oh, he's, he's gone now, so we don't want to be, we stay positive, tell him, but he's, he was, but that is positive. he was fun to watch. But that's positive. But, but Roger Clemens at his best was fun to watch, just yes. mowing down, you know, yes. 20 strikeouts and all that stuff. And Gooden at his, at his peak was as dominant as Sandy Koufax or anybody. Gooden, 24 and 4 in 1985, the year before Clemens explodes. He's 41 yeah. and 13 at the end of the first two years in his major. He may have been overworked a little in those years, mm-hmm. but, my God, I mean, I remember watching those games on TV and going to a couple in person in those days. He, he was almost unhittable. He was unhittable. It's an right. experience watching him. Yeah. Any other sleepers in the 84 FLIR update set? You know, like I said, when what happens when you have these box sets, They, if there's nobody great in the set, the box set stays as a box set. And then you can't, it, it's hard to get the commons because people aren't busting them out because they came that way. But when one guy hits it, and really the first guy to hit it was Gooden. Once you pull the Gooden out, which now is not the best card, but it was, you know, then you're you're left with this incomplete set. And if you're, I have this theory. If I have a set and it's missing one common card, 
people might, especially in the days of Beckett Marketplace and, and Com C, you could, you could sell it to somebody, oh, it's missing a card and you could, you could, you could fill in that card. But it's, when it's missing the best card in the set, it's not a partial set anymore. It's a, you know, it's, it's, it's a group. You know, that's that's not easily put into a complete set. So. Well, it's like eighty nine. Let's go to eighty nine score football. Once you pull out the set, Barry Sanders. Okay, then you pull out a Troy Aikman. Right. Then you pull out the Derek Thomas. And then you pull Deion out the Mike Sanders, Lover, Deion, Deion Sanders. Sanders yeah. So why not just break the set? No, I've got a set. It's only missing five cards. Right. See, that's if you say that it's the it's a recipe for for getting people mad at you. Yeah, just missing five cards. Not sure which ones they are. Yeah, but. Yeah. Uh, it's like 66 tops football, missing number 15, the funny ring chapter. The funny ring, which actually you could make a case that that really doesn't even belong. Right. It has no nexus to the set, in a, in a sense, other than it was in those packs. In fact, when people get it, they think this is a mistake. Yeah. It's a mistake. It's a checklist for a different different product. That's the, Now, that would be worthy of an episode by itself. Weird cards put into packs. Well, that's that's one of the weirder ones. But it just shows that, that you know, the, 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 the well, 84 Fleer is... The update set probably the most successful update set. It's it's the price. It's the it's the, it's the gold. It's the gold it's, standard it's the for up, the eighties. It's the update set of the eighties. Yeah. I mean, it's the prize. It may not have had the super best players, but it had pretty good players. Eighty six has a whole bunch yeah. of really good players in it. But that's way more produced. But that's way more produced. Eighty four yeah. is not as heavily produced, and with those with those three keys that we've yeah. talked about, it's a fun set. Yeah, which you still see. Yes. So let, let's let's end on a positive note. They're still available. Not readily available. I didn't see, and not uh, and not inexpensive. It's not cheap, but you can occasionally see in some of the auctions and so on eBay. You can see a, a set here and a set there, or groups of cards, and, and they're available. So, again, great trip down memory lane. Thanks, Rich. Thanks, listeners. 1984 Fleer. Its only crime is it perhaps wasn't as good as or now as as uh, highly regarded as 84 Donners, but still a great set in its own right. So, thanks. Be back tomorrow. Another episode.